You are listening to the Marnie on the Move podcast flashback series, where we will be bringing you some of our favorite, most popular episodes from the archives. It's a blast from the past. We're encouraging folks to live more engaged and active lives, regardless of their access to capital or resources or time. It's all about equity and access. And I think we discussed last time, if you're not well, your contributions to society and your community are going to be lessened, right? So it's a direct reflection of what you can do for your people, right? And if you're not healthy and well, how can you persist? That was Andia Winslow. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training and showcase their expertise and story. Hello, welcome and welcome back to the Marnie on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. I am super excited to introduce you to today's guest. World-renowned voiceover artist, retired professional golfer and elite runner, and my very good friend, Andia Winslow. You may have heard her voice on commercials for brands like Dairy Queen, Disney, Hulu, NASA, Nike, the NFL, Volkswagen, and Walmart. Or perhaps you've listened to one of her many incredible article narrations in The Atlantic, The New York Times, Vanity Fair, or The New Yorker. Maybe you've heard her voice in documentaries for the Smithsonian Channel or PBS. And of course, if you're an avid listener of the pod... She is the first voice you hear in this intro. You are listening to a Fit Plus Love production. During our conversation, Andy and I think up about her inspiration behind shifting gears from her athletic and fitness career to voiceover. Andy talks about how her athletic mindset and DNA have empowered her for success in her voiceover career. She shares her COVID safety protocols and talks about why she moved home early on to be with her parents and how she has reshaped her work, approach, and focus during the pandemic. Andia is using her voice literally and figuratively to give power to important messages, movements, and her mission to educate and empower people around the globe. We talk about what's new in 2021, And of course, I find out how she's staying healthy and fit. In addition to her career in voiceover and professional sports, Andia has a long career on camera, modeling and as an on-air host on BK Live here in New York City, as well as being featured on Good Morning America, New York One, and so much more. She has created some of the most innovative, fun fitness classes to hit the New York City scene, including her famous Manhattan Beach workout with Chelsea Piers, which was written up in the New York Times. She has designed and led workouts and classes for brands like Athleta, Under Armour, Fit Plus Love, and the W Hotel. And my favorite, her indoor run classes at Mile High Run Club. Andia is inspiring, adventuring, entrepreneurial, a thought leader, and so much more. I hope you enjoy today's conversation. And if you do... Don't forget to leave a review on Apple. It's easy. Head over to the app, click through the Marnie on the Move episodes, click on five stars and leave a review. Tell us what you love. Share this episode with your friends on social, however and wherever you like to share. And sign up for our newsletter, The Download. Now, on to our conversation. So, well, it's so awesome to have you on the podcast again, Andia. It's been like two years, even though I talk to you every day, pretty much. You know what? I went back in the records. It's been three years this week. Oh, my God. Really? Yes, 2018. 2018. Yeah. 
That's so funny. 2018, three years exactly. So, hey, good to good to be with you. Thank you so much. <laughs> I know. I mean, it was like since then you've been so instrumental in helping me hone my skills with podcasting along with our mutual friend, Chris, who kind of really got me started in the world of editing and audio engineering 150 plus episodes later. I mean, imagine that. You've got 150 episodes in your belt, under your belt, yeah. in your belt, in your fanny pack? Something like that. Under, <laughs> in, in my portfolio, under my in belt. Your <laughs> yeah, totally. In my in backpack. In your left shoe. That's amazing. Totally. Congratulations. That's quite a, quite a feat and very consistent in all the guests you've had. It's been really fun to listen to all those conversations. You have been crushing it in the world of voiceover <laughs> over the past few years and even more so in the last year, which I think you've really found your pandemic silver lining and you've really grown so much in the last year and done so many great voiceovers. A few years ago, you decided to switch gears in your career. You went from being an incredibly successful professional golfer, runner, working in the world of fitness and coaching and teaching group fitness classes to a globally renowned voiceover artist. What inspired this change? Wow, what inspired the change? I I would say, first of all, they, they seem like disparate categories, disparate uh, industries. But I think as we d- talked about last time, golf instruction, fitness and wellness instruction and coaching, my job as a coach is to motivate my athlete, my athletes to move or be moved, right? To move forward in their in their races or to progress past injuries. But in voiceover, I'm also motivating constituents or uh, clients or industries to buy, do, don't do, move, be moved. So it's really all about storytelling. And I think the transition was easy for me in that way because I'm naturally a storyteller and that's what motivates me. So yes, it's a career change, but I almost think it's like a career elevation and that I'm doing some of the same things I was doing just in a more creative and I guess inspired way. I mean, you've always been a fitness advocate, you know, giving a voice to some of these really important movements or, you know, before you got into voiceover, you were doing a lot of on-air, on-camera stuff. You were hosting a show with BK Live. You were working with the American Heart Association, doing panels and talks. So even beyond, but before the voiceover, you were active fitness enthusiasts and activists trying to get that message of wellness and health out to people around the world. Yes, and that was really fulfilling. And um, I'm actually hoping this year in 2021, post the nadir of the COVID pandemic, to get back into that in ways that people can be, I guess, ready to receive the information. I think this past year was all about survival for many communities. And I think as everyone starts to get vaccinated and realize the severity of this this global crisis, I think that we can start getting back to um, not just surviving, but thriving once again. So I really look forward to my collaborative partners and making more content and bringing some fun back into the space where I think it's completely been, I guess, focused on just survival and keeping communities alive, which has been a very, very sad and, and real thing this year in 2020. Yeah. It's been tough. I mean, and you've been the voice of some really important articles over the past year, which, I mean, I know that you started out doing voiceover for brands like Walmart or Dairy Queen, Nike. You've done REI. But I think that your voice has taken a more serious turn over the past few months during the pandemic. And you've really been out there telling the stories of important movements, of important people, important stories everything from the New York Times to the Atlantic. So tell me a little bit about how being this voice has inspired you. Yeah, I mean, it's. I I should probably first explain to you my environment in which I record. So prior to the pandemic, I lived in Los Angeles. I was recording in beautiful state-of-the-art studios with crafty, meaning, you know, snacks and chefs and... (laughs) Your favorite snacks. You know, snacks, yeah. So, I mean, I was truly motivated. (laughs) To being quarantined in my parents' home in Arizona, being in the upstairs guest bedroom in a clothes closet surrounded by clothing to dampen the sound uh, with a dog just outside the, the door, and it's 120 degrees, and I'm 
you know, naked in the closet because it's so hot with no air conditioning on, reading stories of death and destruction all summer. That is the difference between 2019 and 2020. And I think it's important for people to realize that because these stories would leave me completely drained. You know, I'd read a story about um, police brutality and social injustice um, and young people being, you know, maligned. And then I would cry in the closet in the darkness because the weight of it. You know, I think I've counted how many times I said the word COVID-19 or coronavirus in 2020, and it was in the thousands. And the word death and the word murder and the word beating and the word kneeling and killing, these are the words that I used most commonly last year, and that affected my mental health. I feel completely wasted after I read these pieces that were long-form narration, you know, anywhere from 1,500 to 20,000 words, and I would do this daily, and I would cry every single day. So it was reliving episodes that are dark in our history, but then at the same time being motivated to keep telling the stories that need to be told. You know, the people have less time to ingest content, but they'd be willing to listen to content being read to them. And so I think that I felt that it was my responsibility to be a voice of my generation to tell these stories and to make sure that people heard what needed to be heard so that we can make change, we can move forward, whether it be from the, the, the over-armed police state to COVID-19 realities, I think the transition from commercial to, I guess, social commentary is something that's natural for me because that's where I came from originally. So I'm returning right. to a place where using my voice is not just using my voice to speak about issues, but tell stories that other people have told to get more people to hear them. I think that's really, really amazing. And it's been incredible to listen to you tell these stories and very, very moving. I mean, there were so many moments where I felt myself in tears as well. So I think you're doing an amazing job being this voice and sharing these stories. And I know like from working with you, you're welcome. Um, I know from working with you for all these years that everything has always just been sort of, or well, the way it seemed light and fun. And we've done a lot of fitness stuff and you've done a lot of commercial things. And, you know, it was, it's really eye opening and moving to hear you sharing these stories and see this other side of you come out from just the day-to-day stuff that we've been doing. It's always been there. I think the key is, you know, my my background, my family is, you know, my dad's an attorney, but he also did civil rights law and human resources law and EEOC. My mom's an educator and the same thing there. And my grandparents were both highly educated and and worked uh, as civil servants. And my grandfather was a Tuskegee Airman who dealt with the plight of the black man and the black woman in the military. So my family is deep in civil movement and I express it in ways differently throughout different parts of my life but right now what's most important to me is getting stories told and getting knowledge to people who need to hear it need to to read it and uh, can make change thereafter that's amazing in retrospect I mean the video that you made for Black History Month with Monique was incredible tell me about that video that you created yeah that that video in particular is called Legacy Workout and it's part of a greater series called The Fit Cycle which basically We're encouraging folks to live more engaged and active lives, regardless of their access to capital or resources or time. It's all about equity and access. And I think we discussed last time, if you're not well, your contributions to society and your community are going to be lessened, right? So it's a direct reflection of what you can do for your people, right? And if you're not healthy and well, how can you persist? Legacy Workout is a reflection on moves that are good for your physical body, and movements in time and history where people made sacrifices to help uplift communities and people, right? So each move is paired with a historical figure or historical movement and tells a story of that person. For example, Thurgood Marshall and Separate But Equal, um, we did these lateral arm raises with books. And one side, we have a very big, heavy law book. On the other side, we've got maybe four novels, paperback novels. They are separate on both sides, different sides of the shoulders, bilateral, but they're not equal because they're different in weight. And that's something that's reflective of society and those, those um, conditions that he was fighting against in segregation and desegregation of schools. So that piece was actually one of my favorites that I've ever made. And Monique Walton is a um, tremendous and brilliant filmmaker and creative. And we really partnered well together. We went to college together. We made a documentary in college um, called Still Black at Yale, which was examining the 
experience for students of color on that campus in the 2000s. And so we continue to make great work together. In the future, we have some coming up. Monique's also been a winner at Ken. Her work has been around the world and highly received. And she's going to win an Oscar soon. Y'all stay tuned. Oh, my God. She's I amazing. It. I mean, mm-hmm. I was just going to ask you if you're going to do another video. Hey, look, when we can all come together post-COVID, we're going to make yes. a whole bunch of stuff. Just watch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so many plans. So many plans. And I mean, like you said, while you've been very thankful and grateful and happy to contribute and use your voice, it also takes a lot from you. So are there any parallels that you take from, you know, being an athlete and the lessons that you've learned, putting it all out there and then in recovery to your voiceover and talent? Like, are there any parallels between the two? Oh, most definitely. First of all, recovery, recovery is the key. Uh... Voiceover, although not physically taxing, I mean, you, you don't think voiceover, you think, oh, you're just speaking, you're just talking. It's not physically taxing in the, in the sense that I just ran a marathon and now i got to go make dinner for the kids. It's not taxing in that way, but it is taxing in that way because your voice, if you're using it properly in, in the most effective way, it's not just your vocal cords and your throat. We're talking about you're speaking from your diaphragm, We're talking about using your whole chest cavity. I stand when I record, so a long-form narration or an audiobook, I'm standing for several hours. Um, I found that my best narration happens when I work out prior to. So whether that be, you know, knocking out some push-ups and some squats or some calisthenics outside of the booth, outside the recording studio before I go, taking a run, riding my bike, taking a four-hour thinking hike in the mountains early, early morning or late night, if I don't recover in that way physically, my voice is not going to be the same, you know, dulcet tones people have come to expect from my vocal brand. So physical activity has never actually been more important for me. It's not only a way to stay in shape, but it's a way to release from the stress of what I'm reading potentially or vocal stress, whether it be a video game. Let's say I'm yelling commands. I'm a, uh, I'm a captain in the army or I'm uh, a ghoul or a ghost or something and I'm yelling for four hours, that takes a lot out of the body and the mind. So vocal rest is important. Um, that means don't talk. Um, therapies are important. That means, and that's hard for me, <laughs> um, you know, steaming my voice, drinking teas that are good for me that make me calm down, stretching, meditating, doing things outside of this padded studio. I call it cro- closet chronicles because I'm really in closet all day. Just seeing air and seeing light and moving my body has never been so acute a focus for me in a non-obvious way. You mentioned earlier that you are at your parents right now in Arizona, but you have lived so many places over the years. And the one thing that I know is that you love to be outdoors. So how are you doing that right now? And, you know, what were you doing in L.A. versus New York and Arizona? Oh, yes. I love to travel. At this point, I realize it's not even travel. It's like an adventure. It's, it's adventuring. Adventuring can happen in a different state, in a different country, but can also happen in your backyard. So I have several backyards, as you mentioned. My backyards have been in Washington State, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, New York, Florida, Arizona, California to date. The great thing about LA, Southern California, is that you can ski or snowboard and surf on the water in the same day. It's pretty pretty impressive in that way. So for me, you know, I, I go to the studio and then I go run up a mountain and then I come down and get a burrito and then get in the ocean. I mean, that's a, that's a typical day for me um, when I'm not, you know, triple, quadruple, quadruple booked. Arizona, it's a little bit different because obviously... You know, it's very, very hot here in the summer, so 120, 123. We had a 125 this summer. So you're really stuck inside. Um, so it's not as it's not as freewheeling. But right now, obviously, the, the temperature is great. It's, you know, we had 70 last week. I think we're at 60 right now. So I do a lot of open desert hiking um, far out to as to avoid people. Um, so, yeah, I, I like to... Yesterday, for example, I took a five-hour walk. Yeah. I had no destination planned. I had... You know, a little pack with some snacks and water in case, and you know, my little supplies in case anything comes up. But I just walk and I think. I walk and I think and I write and I look at plants and I, you know, investigate decomposition and I look at animals and I watch hawks. And it's just something that gets me feeling balanced and grounded, literally. And so um, New York City is different. I mean, I would people watch, 
but <laughs> after a while that becomes a little much. Um, I do enjoy the energy of the city and I, I do hope to come back once things settle, but uh, not to live full time. I think if I had to design a perfect life, my life would be a little bit of time here, a little bit of time there, hop in here, hop in there, you know, with my go bag and my studio equipment. And uh, yeah, that would be my perfect life, which actually prior to the pandemic, I kind of was living, huh? I mean, yeah, total lifestyle design. Yeah, you were. You were back and forth in New York all the time. I mean, what made you decide to go to Arizona right at the beginning of COVID and stay with your parents? Well, Arizona is less dense than Los Angeles and Phoenix proper, where I live. So my parents live. So I thought this would be a great way to decompress. I mean, when do you spend this kind of quality time with your parents and your family as an adult? Not really. So I thought, okay, well, I can work from home. My profession allows me to do so. I can set up a studio in the closet. Um, I can patch in with clients around the world with software, um, which is great. I have the technology. Um, so why don't I go spend some quality time with them and the dog? And so I did. And also I thought I can be the vector if anything happens. I can be the one going to shop uh, for groceries and to pick things up at the hardware store instead of having them, you know, they're an older population, a compromised population. Instead of having them in the streets, let me be the person that makes takes the risk and um, employs a safety precaution. So that's what I did. Now, we're coming up on what, 10 months now that I've been here, I thought it was in my, I look back at my calendar and I had blocked out three weeks, <laughs> Arizona, three weeks, you know, very end of March through whatever. And here we are, you know, coming up on March, 2021. So it's longer than I thought, but uh, I've had some time to decompress and help them out around the house and spend some quality time. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been interesting. How do you feel in terms of like COVID and safety right now in Arizona? Well, <laughs> it's less dense, of course, but people here have, not to make this a political conversation, but it is, folks don't, um, they don't, they don't heed the warnings of science. And as a result, Arizona is currently the hotspot in the world, not just the United States, not just the southwestern United States, the entire world. So as a result, I do not go outside, really. <laughs> and right. we, we have shopping a schedule that we stick to very strictly. Uh, we have protocols, safety protocols at our own home. Um, we're not, we're not, uh, I believe in science. My family believes in science. You know, I've got friends who are on the front lines serving the people who are getting sick and I've heard horror stories and I've seen them and I, I don't want to have any parts of that. I want to support their efforts as well. Me being outside makes their job harder Then I'm not being a good citizen, right? I'm not being a good friend. I'm not being a good, um, country person. So, I choose to be very exclusively with my family, quarantined, not just so I don't get sick, not just so my parents don't get sick, so that I can help not create greater stress for those who are working in the hospitals, keeping the rest of us alive. I wear my mask when in public. I wear my mask even when I'm hiking in, on desert, deserted trails because it's not just about the air quality. It's about symbolism. I'm doing this, neighbor. I'm doing this, fellow hiker to protect you and our community. So it's a symbol, and I'll keep wearing a mask as long as necessary because I think that we've become a little bit too selfish here in this country and in this community that I currently live. And uh, I'm not willing to take the risk of my friends who are doing the hard work, putting the hours away from their families, completely stressed, depressed, and on the brink of complete shutdown. Yeah, I feel the same way. I mean, being in New York City... I, I think I actually think for like the first time in my life, like when COVID happened, I literally had no mechanism for like coping or like wrapping my head around what happened and what was happening. And I really was one of the first people to like be completely paranoid before anybody was wearing masks. And I stick to it, you know, like I'm not going to go outside and not wear a mask. I'm not going to go hang out with people. I mean, I'll do socially distanced things with masks, but like really, really limited. And I think it's just so important. It is a symbol, you know, when I'm out running or out on my bike, like I'm wearing my mask, you know? And I think, you know, if I'm, if I'm all by myself and there's no one around and I'm confident that that's the case, I will breathe out of my nose. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I know it's hard on the bike going fast, but I think, you know, as exactly what you said it's like just a level of respect it's saying like I see you I 
recognize that we're all in this together. And I think, you know, early on in New York, people, I think pe- there, were, there were different groups of people, like you're saying in Arizona. I mean, there's some people that follow <laughs> the law and, you know, have respect for other people and wear their mask. And there's people that don't. Let's talk about this real quickly, though, in terms of athletes and exercisers. Number one, masks are great for several reasons. I used to always eat bugs when I rode at high speeds. Flies in the throat. Guess what never happens now? No bugs in my mouth. No bugs up my nose. When? Two, in the desert, when you're running on trails, it can be dusty. Guess who never gets dust in their lungs now? Me. Also, in the desert, there's something called... Uh, valley fever. It's these spores in the ground that lay dormant when the dust kicks up. When it comes in, it comes into your body. It's an immune system issue. And it can cause not quite paralysis, but lethargy. It can cause you to have rashes. It can cause brain fog. It's basically like mono, an extreme form of mono for many people. I don't have to worry about that because guess who's wearing a mask? Me. You know, so it's just like, great. And then also think about maybe, I think three years ago, these became very popular. Those filter masks and like the high pressured masks yes. people were wearing and they were they I think it was partly a fashion statement but also it was supposed to help your your exchange right your capacity for work well guess what that's the same thing so actually you may actually be helping yourself create a greater capacity for work in the future I mean what what, what do you think yeah. so folks want to I mean, argue the point and have this belabored belabored thing but like you all were doing it for fashion three years ago <laughs> you know I mean, I've been wearing a mask. I wear a balaclava when I run because I'm always so cold. And when especially, and I'm cold basically probably March, you know, like probably like October through March. I mean, not this year. It's been different. But I'm used to wearing something over my mouth and nose because my lungs get really cold when I'm running or or cycling. And I've never actually been cycling except for this year. I've really kind of like leveled up my weather threshold so to speak but I mean I've always worn a something over my nose and my mouth like a is a balaclava right well you know what that is but it's not a baklava um, (laughs) that would be the snack no because that would be really good too I've always had baklava on my bike ride I wear baklava on my face when I ride uh, halava and baklava (laughs) yeah totally All those things and um, sushi snacks and tacos. (laughs) How do we know this conversation was going to tailspin into a snack conversation? We should have known better. (laughs) So, like, because that's your thing. You know, I'm done with the mask, but it is your thing. I mean, you would do anything for, like, a burrito or taco. Mm -hmm. Like, I have been on the set with you and, Mm. like, Mm -mm. I think you're the only other person I know that will, like, even though I secretly profess that I am very healthy, I will attack the snacks on any set. <laughs> oh, listen, I love snacks. Now, I'm not, I'm not necessarily eating unhealthy snacks. I just love to eat. It's actually my favorite thing. And uh, I joke about it with people and they think I'm being real silly, but I'm being real honest. You know there's truth in jest, y'all, right? I love food. Yes. We've, yes. I, it brings me joy. It brings me peace. It makes me happy. It makes me inspired. As long as I don't have but to cook. But you don't cook. cook. No, I don't know. No, no. Yeah. no. You know, actually, you asked me how has it been being at home. Let me tell you how it's been being at home. It's been yeah. phenomenal because guess what? My right. parents you're, like, are both. In a hotel. Yes, <laughs> my parents are both phenomenal cooks. My mom is a chef. She is phenomenal, and so I've got these beautifully crafted, sprinkled with love, hot meals, and I I just have to come down and eat it, and I just feel like I've won the lotto. The 2020 lotto. I know. That's why I was wondering, like, how you're going to go back to L.A. I don't What's, know. I mean, what are you going to do? This was actually the smartest thing you could have ever you know, done for yourself, to be honest. That might be one way they entice me to come. Hey, you could help us out, but we could help you out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, when I was little, I, I think I was seven. I was about seven or so, or so. My dad tells a story that... He said, you need to learn how to cook because you need to learn how to cook. It's a skill. And I said, Dad, one day I'm going to be very rich and I'm going to have a personal <laughs> chef. I won't need to know how. <laughs> well, I've actually designed my life in a way that I haven't really had to learn because I've surrounded myself with friends who are chefs. Um, mm-hmm. And they cook for me all my New York City years. And then, <laughs> and, and then now I've got a really great situation at home where I'm eating restaurant four-star restaurant quality food every every meal and uh 
I I digress. I I feel like I'm bragging now. No, I'm gonna bring you back. Bring me back. What are some of your favorite? I'm bringing you back. What are some of your favorite go tos for food? And I mean, mm. you know, as look as an athlete, I love greens. You know, I love greens, um, whether that be spinach or um, greens or Swiss chard. I love beans. So, like, my mom, let's say she made for dinner, she made, uh, you know, Swiss chard and black-eyed peas and cornbread. Like, that's a very down-home meal, but it's also really great. So it's got protein in it. It's got your leafy greens. We have citrus fruit in the backyard. So uh, February is picking season, so... I'll go in the backyard and pick the grapefruits and the lemons and the oranges, and I'm sure we put that in. She puts that on cakes. She, if that's a dessert, you know, z- the zest, yeah, yeah, we drink it, yeah. for, you know, for vitamin C or it, we put it into smoothies, you know, fruit from our garden. We have a lot of spices and herbs that we add. Our rosemary tree is really smells great. We got basil. We've got we got a lot of stuff here. So. When I say eat from the earth, I'm really eating from our earth, our little plot of earth. And then um, I'm a vegetarian too, so I'm already eating well. As you know, for my personal gut, I'm eating well anyway. Um, and then just add to it the fact that my mom can throw down in the kitchen. I don't have anything to say other than I wish everyone could experience what I experience on a daily basis in terms of food, because I think the world would be a happier place. <laughs> She sounds awesome. Yeah, she is. No, I know she's awesome. So how long have, have you always been vegetarian? Like, is that something that you've been your entire life? Uh, since I was four, my dad's also vegetarian. Okay. And the last couple of years, I've oscillated between being vegetarian and completely plant-based to different levels of, of success. I, every once in a while, will fall off the bandwagon and have cheese, and then I completely fall uh, apart and I have lots of cheese. So... There was like two years where I didn't eat cheese. I didn't eat any dairy at all. I don't call myself a vegan because that's not true, but I did not eat dairy. I did not consume dairy, but I did have a leather bag and I did have a leather belt and I do have leather shoes. So I'm not a vegan right. and I did have honey. Um, and that's, I'm not here to argue or belabor that point other than I was yeah. plant-based. Yeah. You know, then I had a piece of pizza from Grimaldi's and then, you know, then. It was downhill from then. There. <laughs> and then, you know, so things like that. But I... Primarily in plant-based, um, I don't eat a lot of cheese every so often. My parents don't put it in my food. Yeah, I like to eat. And you're like a very, very good athlete. Super fast, super strong, very talented when it comes to golf and running. And you've never really eaten meat no, in your life. No. And you've managed to be successful, be a winner. I think that the idea that you need to be a meat eater or consume this mass amount of protein from a meat source is not only silly, but it's scientifically incorrect. There are a lot of vegan athletes, there are a lot of plant-based athletes, there are a lot of vegetarian or pescatarian athletes who do just fine, in fact, often better than they were when they were eating meat, and they perform well, and they are, they feel a mental acuity they didn't feel when they were eating a whole bunch of dairy. For me also, dairy is not good for voiceover because it creates mucus, and the mucus reflects itself in the way that my voice sounds, sugars as well, so I don't eat that way in general, because it's not something I do, but also because it directly affects my bottom line. And I need to have smooth tones. And so I just don't do it. When did you officially get into voiceover? Like, when did that officially start for you? And how? Um, I think it's a weird timeline. So the thing is, I, my best friend Chris got me for my birthday uh, voiceover lessons, vocal vocal lessons with a coach, private lessons. And... I think it's a whole teach a woman to fish thing instead of just giving the woman the fish. I learned right. that the craft would require very specific and directed attention. And so I thought, okay, this is something cool. I'm always into, you know, learning new things. I'm very curious. And it seemed, it seemed fun. And so I started taking lessons for about a year. And then I was informed by the coach, hey, perhaps you shouldn't recreate. Perhaps you should take this seriously because you have what it takes you not just do you have an interesting voice and vocal range, but you have a ability to tell a story in an entertaining way. So I decided to, hey, let me give this a shot. Let me try to get an agent. I uh, was not successful in the first go, and I thought, okay, well, whatever. I don't even know what that means. But then I booked a gig, and I was like, oh, I booked a gig. And then the gig that I booked thereafter was a union gig, and the union is SAG-AFTRA acting gig. 
all your favorites are in the union. And as a result of joining the union, I could no longer do a certain other types of work. So the work that I was doing and I'm doing now is highly, it's a higher elevation work. And as a result, I needed to make the choice of do I stay in New York City or do I move to LA and take this, take this on full time. And so I did. So I, I elevated to the top of the industry really quickly because I had to join the union. Um, that changed the nature of what I was doing. So then I spent my first year in LA taking every single voiceover class I could going to every networking event that was available to me because I realized in L.A. it's not what you know or your body of work, it's who you know, so I need to meet the people. Also, I need to get agented, and also I was competing with the best in the world, literally, so I needed to level up. And so I spent a year, 2017, I just learned. I learned, I learned, I learned, and then 2018 hit, and I was like, let's put me in, coach, and that was how it happened. So pretty quick. That's incredible. I mean, you've spent so much time being on camera, like when we worked together on Good Morning America, hosting on BK Live. So I think it was it was very natural for you to kind of move into this direction. But I'm very curious, how has the transition been for you from working as an athlete in professional golfing and running to coaching and conditioning training to teaching fitness classes and being out in front of people and with people all the time to kind of pulling it back in and doing all this work where now it's really your voice that's reaching people, but you are all by yourself in this booth. Mm. I would say there's two very distinct parts of my personality that a lot of folks don't know. There is the outward kind of effervescent, goofy person. And then there's a very... right. <laughs> stoic, forbearant, please leave me alone. I need some personal and me time person. And they exist together, sometimes competing for the lead role. Um, but I am a loner in many sense, senses. So voiceover for me is cathartic in some ways. It allows me to calm down because I am very hypercritical and hyperattentive. It allows me to settle. It's almost like when I step into the recording studio, I'm forced to become meditative and reflective because it's completely quiet and devoid of sound and out, outside stimuli. And then when I go out into the world, everything is very bright and loud and I, you know, I'm overstimulated. So it serves, it serves my need in terms of my personality uh, in, a, in a great way. And I, I think for me, I was also tiring of being on all the time. I mean, in the city, mm -hmm. I was in front of, you know, personal clients or big groups. I was always on, I'd bounce from teaching a spinning class to teaching a golf class to going on TV in the same day and going from uptown to downtown to crosstown to Brooklyn, always moving. And I think I, I don't know if the word is burned out, but I needed some kind of respite. And voiceover has been the respite I needed. And, and also, I guess I should, could announce now that I'm going to go back on camera this year at a pace that works for me. So this year you will be seeing me doing more on camera um, stuff and it's going to be a slow release so that I can keep up with the demands on my terms. That is amazing. So you're bringing it all together. Yeah. In case people didn't listen to our conversation back in 2018, maybe give me like your whole story as to like how you got to where you are pre-voiceover. Sure. So in chronological order, I suppose. I yeah. was born by a river in a little <laughs> tiny tent. <laughs> okay, real quickly, I guess, real speed round. Yeah. Born in Alaska, yeah. raised in Alaska, then we moved down to Seattle. So continue to be raised in Seattle, Washington. So nature, conservation, progression, that was all my upbringing. Went across this country to Yale University. Uh, I played college golf, uh, Division One golf. During my younger years, I was top ranked in the world, junior golfer, recruited to like 50 colleges and universities. My parents said, no, academics go first, went to Yale. Then finished Yale and bounced around a bit in my head about what was the next step. Missed golf, went back to golf, played at a high-level amateur. Uh, then I made my LPGA debut in 2006 as an amateur. Then I decided, okay, I'm going to turn pro. At that time, there was only two uh, tours for women. So I moved back to the West Coast, uh, to Arizona, turned pro there, played many tours. Then I had to stop my life and become a caretaker for a terminally ill family member. And so I did that for two years. And then after that point, I was lost. 
And then New York City found me. <laughs> I uh, was recruited to join uh, the USA Bobsled and Skeleton Federation as an athlete, developmental athletes for the Russia, uh, Sochi Russia Games. Uh, I guess I should back up a little bit more. When I lived in Florida, I also uh, trained with USA Track and Field. So I was an a track athlete, and that's why they were recruiting summer sport athletes to winter sports. Then I moved down to New York City and began coaching and uh, instructing full-time. And then someone heard my voice in New York City, and they heard my voice, and then that's when I got my voiceover lessons. And then I moved to L.A., and now I'm quarantined in my upstairs parents' guest room with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. It's like a ping-pong ball really back good. and forth across the, uh, the game. As somebody who's known you now, I don't even know, like 10 years probably. Yeah. I have no idea. At least. I mean, I've known you since you've been in New York. Since yeah, so that was like 2012-ish, 13-12-ish. Yeah, and we met through 13? our mutual friend Stacy at Chelsea Pier yes. Fitness when you were teaching your Manhattan, was it Manhattan Beach? Manhattan Beach remember. workout, baby. Yes. On the sand volleyball courts, and it was written up in the New York Times. New York Times it- and elsewhere, it sure was. <laughs> Are you working out a lot? Are you training a lot? I know you said you've been going and hiking, but I know you also like consider running anything more than like 25 meters, like <laughs> endurance training. So, I mean, okay, in Arizona. I know we always joke around about that. Well, yeah. so in Arizona, we got a pool in the backyard, thankfully. So in the summer, I'm just doing my little mini laps in a play pool. I hike oh, a lot. Oh, you're doing laps now? That's awesome. I said mini laps. Mini, not okay, many. What does that mean? M-I-N-I. Like horizontal? <laughs> <laughs> I I lap myself in the pool, the play pool. Um, yeah, it's I'm basically playing. I'm, I'm splashing about. I'm splashing about in the water. Yeah, because I know you mentioned you were going to take up swimming at one point. Yeah, I mean, look, look, I, I swim, but I swim like to get someplace. Like, oh, right. the boat's over there and you're on the land. You got to go to the buoy. Okay, I'll swim over to the boat. <laughs> or like, oh, <laughs> my beach ball has gone out you know, 300 yards in the water, can someone go get it? Okay, yes, I will go get your their beach ball. Or like, you know, you need to go take this to the other boat. I'll do that kind of swimming, but like swimming for recreation um, has not been something, I mean, swimming for exercise has not been something that I've done really because I... Yeah, it's not your jam. Athleticism is in your DNA. It doesn't matter. You can do anything you want to do. Anything I want to do. Uh, it's fun. But uh, yeah, a lot of hiking, a lot of biking here. Cycling is really big. There's a lot of triathletes who live in Arizona, actually. So I see a lot of big groups cruise, um, cruising by. What, what else do I do? I mean, I love to hula hoop in the backyard. If I have like a 10-minute break between studio sessions, I'll hula hoop. I got a unicycle named Capitan. Sometimes I'll walk the dog on that just, you know, just to spice things up. <laughs> what are your neighbors? Trail run. Do your neighbors ever come out and just like are they yes, like whatever? Yes, they do. They sometimes come out and they're just like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "Unicycling." They're like, "Huh? That makes sense for you." <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, you always like kind of bring some kind of fun. You got to add the spice to life, you know. You also want to bring make people smile when you bring the unicycle out. People smile. They smile and it takes them back to like fifth grade in the 70s or 60s or whatever. And they're like, oh, man, I used to. And that's the whole point. Again, storytelling. Again, you know, some 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 common ground with your fellow person. That's what I like to do yes. when I'm on and I'm outside of the booth is, you know, that's what I like to do when we actually able to talk to each other. But I enjoy making connections with people. And I think ultimately everything I've done, whether it be athletic endeavors or activism and philanthropy, it's about bridging gaps, telling stories, connecting with my fellow human. And that's why I love the life I've crafted for myself um, and the life that... It's amazing. Yeah, it's come together. Yeah, so we know about your sort of serious, stoic, introverted side. Now, let's talk about the goofy side. What was that horse video that you did way back when? (laughs) Oh, Julia Vandertrot. Julia Vandertrot is one of my alter egos, and she is a horse whisperer. She's also a salon stylist. And what Julia does is she finds people for her show who need an attitude adjustment and also a makeover. And typically, these people, these guests, are horses. So, and what other animal voices do you do? Animal voices? I mean, like, yes. this is not animal voices. Julia is a human. Um, oh. But 
I mean, I have all kinds of voices. Um, you know, the crazy thing is that folks don't realize when I talk like that. Sometimes I'll do that in the store or drive through. I'll speak like that. And then I show up to the window. They're like, huh? It's like a disconnect <laughs> between the way I look and the way I've talked. And um, the great thing about voiceover actors is a lot of us have a lot of range. So my range is, you know, like whistle pitch all the way, you know, think Mariah Carey type stuff all the way down to an alto, which is what I am naturally. And so, you know, there's I can throw my voice in many, many ways and add effects to it just with the shape of my face. And so one of those ways that I practice these voices and these characters, I have a you know a library of characters in my mind, is by talking to animals. Dogs, cats, horses, you know, the birds. We've got hummingbirds in our backyard that always come when I when I call them in my special hummingbird voice. Which is, <laughs> so please give me the hummingbird voice. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great way to practice and in a way that's not... Um, I don't feel kind of any kind of self-consciousness because animals don't care. They just like love and attention. So, you know, I, I try things out on my dog all the time. And based on his reaction, I'm like, mm, I don't think the people are going to like that one because he didn't. If Al doesn't like it, they probably won't. If Al loves it, I'm like, OK, this this resonates. <laughs> so I practice, you know, I, I practice some audition voices with my dog first. And then I go in the booth and record them. And those are the ones that always win. I always book gigs based on Alf's recommendation so that's like a little secret voiceover tip try it out on children or animals and based on your reaction does it resonate are you telling the story well enough and effectively enough in that voice maintaining character if it does go ahead and lay that track down because it's going to be a winner before we leave what's go what's coming down the pipeline in 2021 what are some big projects that you're excited about that are coming out that you're working on well, in 2021, I really want to focus on specific genres that I am excited about. And those are, again, coming back to full circle to my beginning of my life. I want to work on a lot of sports stuff and nature docs so uh, and social commentary documentaries. So I, you know, I was a sociology major in college. And so ethnographies and documentaries are very uh, dear to my heart. So for sports, like I just did a whole series for Fox Sports Voices announcing one of their specials. I want to do more of that. Uh, sports announcing, things like that, because I just it gives me this fire in my gut. And then nature, I love nature documentaries. I love David Attenborough and all these folks who are really exploring and highlighting the natural world, so I want to get into that for the docs. And I've got a couple of video games coming out in coming weeks uh, that are pretty exciting. Can't name them yet, but you will see shortly. And then continue working with clients, um, new clients, old clients. I love to collaborate. It's my favorite thing. So keep keep your ears peeled for those. Ears ears peeled? Is it ears peeled? I mean, would your ears be peeled? <laughs> keep your know. ears open. Don't peel my ears. <laughs> peel your ears. Keep your ears open for a lot of cool stuff. Um, and not I just this voice you're hearing, open. but like, yeah. you know, my other voices. Like Julia Vandertrot, she's going to come back. Um, I'll be in the stables with my horses and things. And, um, yeah, just uh, look for me on social as well because I'm going to, like I said, come back on camera a little bit this year. There's going to be some golf content. I'm bringing fitness content back because people are asking for it. So we're going to get all the worlds popping together 2021. Hopefully there'll be some travel at the end of the year just so I can see faces of people that I love in other places that I don't currently live. So uh, if I see you online and maybe in the streets in the future, that would be wonderful. Awesome. Well, this has been so great. Thank you for jumping back on the podcast. Thank you, Marnie. Congratulations on all your episodes and all the guests and all the stories. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram, and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com, for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. for our guests, just reach out. <laughs>